The majority, if not all, of women whose births end in a C-section wish that there was a different outcome, that they were given more time, more options, more information. But today's guest actually wishes the opposite. After an extremely painful and traumatic induced labor, it ended in an equally traumatic C-section. Today's guest says she wishes that she had been given a C-section right when she showed up at the hospital. People would call me up and I would say how Joshua was born. I'd start to cry. I was actually sad. And I'm like, why am I crying? I just had a baby. Why am I crying every time I tell the story of how Josh was born? Welcome to the Labor Lessons Podcast. Real life lessons from real life labor and delivery experiences. Offering support and the knowledge that you are not alone on your birthing journey. The purpose of this podcast is to educate based on others' past experiences. It is not intended as medical advice. I'm your host, Carly, C-section mom, VBAC mom, and mom who's simply passionate about birth. Welcome to this episode of the Labor Lessons Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Betsy Sloan from Island, New Jersey. She is the mom of an adult son who has a cognitive disability. She is also the creator and founder of hashtag kick Alzheimer's ass movement, which is a group on Facebook, and I will share a link to that in the show notes. She is also the host of Chatting with Betsy, where she interviews many different guests on a variety of topics to help people. Betsy's labor lesson is... Sometimes labor is just as traumatic as the C-section that ends it. Hi, Betsy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Carly. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and how you came to this, uh, learn this lesson. Sure. Well, my son is 38, so maybe things have changed since then. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh was a, a big baby. I'm small. I'm five foot. So they did a son uh, ultrasound, I guess, sonogram ultrasound when I was eight months pregnant, seven or eight months pregnant to see if I was having twins because I was big. And they just said, oh, I'm going to have a big baby. I'm going to have a boy. It'll probably be, you know, an eight pound baby. Well, Josh was nine pounds, two and a half ounces. And he was 21 and a half inches long. So I don't know. My labor date got messed up. I originally was due July 14th. The ultrasound said, no, June 30th. Josh was born July 11th. I know I didn't get pregnant in uh, September. So I knew he couldn't have been due in, in June. The week that Josh was born, it was July 9th, I went for a stress test. And I wasn't dilated. And the guy said, and the doctor said, um, you know, if I induced labor now, you would be have a really rough time. Well, the next day, my water broke in the store. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I know I'm not peeing in my pants. And I was like, okay, let me get in my car, drive home. But it wasn't that far away, maybe 10 minutes. And I called up uh, the doctor 
I said, I think my water broke. So I called up my husband, Matt, and he came home. He took me to the doctor. I wasn't any dilated. And he said, if you don't start labor tonight, come in the next day, which was July 11th, and we'll induce labor. And I knew. I knew I was going to be in for a rough time. So I started labor during the night. So I went. So I told my husband, Matt, I said, I'm, you know, labor. I called up the doctor. said, go to the hospital. Matt's rushing to the hospital, dragged me through the parking lot. Get in there. Carly, I was hardly dilated. And I got the pleasure of having an enema and getting catheterized to help bring it on. That I'm sorry if anyone's hearing this and you're pregnant, everyone's different. But that induced labor is the pits. Maybe that's why they call it medicine. Uh, the medication was, it was terrible. They say you forget about the pain of labor when you have your baby. No, you don't. I'll never forget that pain. <laughs> that's a lie. Um, and it was painful. I was in labor for 12 hours, hallucinating because they gave me morphine hallucinating that it was raining out and by later on there was a thunderstorm <laughs> so um i was about they wanted to attach the uh, monitor the baby monitor to the baby's head but josh wasn't down far enough in my own opinion i feel like they should have known he couldn't come through my birth canal they should have known i was too small and he was too big so i suffered for 12 hours and I was only up to four centimeters. I was like yelling, take him out, take him out. And I I don't know if that caused Josh to have a disability. I really don't. Uh, it's kind of hard to prove. My water, Like I said, my water broke the day before. Then I find out that if your water breaks the day before, you are more susceptible to having an infection. I think that when I got to the hospital, they should have just, uh, done the cesarean instead of put me through that and the baby through the trauma of trying to come down. Maybe they have to try. Maybe, you know, they don't want a lawsuit. I, I can understand that. Now, I have heard that your waters can be broken for up to 72 hours before there's like I have heard from midwives, especially doctors are more prone to tell you to come to the hospital once your waters break. But midwives will allow you up to 72 hours. You just have to keep an eye to make sure you don't have a fever, which can indicate an infection. Um, now, when your doctor sent you home and told you to get labor started, did they give you any kind of direction for how you might get labor started? Like you went to the doctor and my water's broken and they were like, all right, we'll go home if labor doesn't start overnight. Did they tell you any ideas for how to get how to get labor moving? No. No, they didn't. When as soon as I started with the labor pains, you know, it was timing them, the contractions. And uh, my husband got nervous and <laughs> wanted me to call the doctor. If I would have known back then, I don't know now, I would have went in at seven o'clock in the morning. Um, so I got to the hospital, I think it was two or three o'clock in the morning. And uh, it was it was an intense it was intense, and I'll tell you what, I don't think that doctor was gentle. My husband said when, when the doctor put his hand up there, it was like he was reaching into a cow looking for gold or something. 
it was it, it was rough. Yeah. I didn't particularly the doctor who did the cesarean wasn't the one that I saw. It was a group. And of course the doctor that I was seeing, he wasn't on call that day. And this doctor was rough. Even when I went for my post, um, you know, six-week checkup, he was rough. He was rough examining. And um, that hurt. Hmm. Oh, that's terrible. My first order was a C-section, and the doctor on call when I showed up in labor was not a doctor that I had ever met before. So I have experienced that Um not having any kind of like relationship with the doctor who's delivering your baby. It's, it's hard. You feel like you don't necessarily feel like they have your best interest at heart because they don't know you. At what point did they suggest a C-section? Did they suggest you have a cesarean? It was after 12 hours. Like it was. Um, and they were like, you're not making any progress. Right. Yeah. It was up to four centimeters. Only four. After that, Pitocin, Pitocin, is that how you pronounce it? Pitocin. Pitocin, yeah. Um, and that's rough stuff. He told me, you know, you would have to have your other children uh, by C-section. I wouldn't even have chanced having um, a vaginal delivery after Josh if I had another one. But I only had one. I told my husband, you can have it with someone else. I'll raise it. <laughs> I'm not going through that again. <laughs> Well, after that experience, it's understandable why you wouldn't want to go through that again. Yeah. Can you tell me about what your C-section was like for you? It was, uh, they did like the bikini cut. I was sore. When I woke up, they just like plopped Josh right on my sore belly. You know, and I was able to, everyone saw Josh before me. And he had to, I was the last one to see my son. I was just starting, I think, to get that postpartum depression. I felt really sad in the hospital. And back then, 38 years ago, they didn't talk about postpartum depression. They didn't acknowledge it. They did not, um, you know, here's a Percocet. You're not depressed. And here's something for pain. I was depressed. I had postpartum depression. I hate when they tell you you're not something and you know you are. <laughs> I can't figure doctors out. But I was sore for a while. And then, I well, I never had a completely flat abdomen to begin with. I was born with a pot belly. So this even made it even worse. That's the, the, the price you pay. It's okay. Talk to me about what your expectations were before you had your son, like what you thought your labor and delivery was going to be like versus how it actually was? You know what? I thought that I would have hoped to have a natural childbirth. You know, that's what I hoped for. But they kept telling me, you know, he's big baby. When my water broke, I figured, you know what? I'm probably going to have a cesarean. I'm, that's probably going to happen. But I didn't think that they would induce labor like that and put me through 12 hours of horrible pain. I mean, I think they should have just known within, I don't know, give it four hours even that I wasn't progressing. Thankfully, 
I'm very grateful that Josh didn't go into distress. And that's what, you know, I was concerned about. And I think that's why they finally did a cesarean, because I think they were afraid that the baby would go into distress by trying to ease their way down the canal that they can't get out of. And they were shocked that he was so big. And now it's time for my favorite part of the show. Ridiculous things my husband has said to me while pregnant. This ridiculous thing comes from Sarah Bilger of the Entering Motherhood podcast. She says that during her first birth, her husband was hungry and her doula brought him fried chicken. She was in the hospital, so she wasn't allowed to eat and she doesn't eat meat. And it made the whole room smell like fried chicken. Oh my goodness. And that's a smell that is hard to get out of a room. Sarah says she told her husband that the fried chicken needed to leave the room, but he was confused on how he was going to eat it and where. Sarah said that for their second birth, she told him, no fried chicken. (laughs) That's hilarious. Thanks for sending this in, Sarah. If you would like to share a ridiculous thing your husband or boyfriend has said to you, you can email me at laborlessons at gmail.com. I'll link it in the show notes. Don't forget to tell me your name and where you're from, and I would be more than happy to share it with the rest of our listeners. Now back to the episode. Do you think that there's anything they could have done to help you avoid having a cesarean? I don't think there was anything they could have done to avoid it because Josh was big and he had a big head. He was big. He's a chunky little baby. You know, I mean, I'm small. So I figured they, they, I think they should have known that he couldn't come out. And that they would have said to me when I got to the hospital, he's too big, you're too small, let's do a cesarean. I would have said, okay. I would have said, fine. Um, that to go through that experience. When they said to you, it's been 12 hours, you're still four centimeters, you're not making any progress, it's time for a C-section. Was there a dis- first of all, was there a discussion between you and the doctor? Like, we think this is the best course of action, and you were like, okay. And then following that, what kind of emotions did you feel at that point when they were like, enough is enough, we're done, let's do the C-section? I kept telling them before, take them, do a C-section. No, we have to wait. Why? <laughs> I'm like, why? Take the kid. Cut me open. I want it out of my misery. And when I had the C-section, I had general anesthesia. My husband never would have been in the room anyway. There's no way he would have been in the room. And I really wanted out of my pain. My my legs actually hurt for a couple of days because of the pain. I don't know if anyone else ever has that. You ever hear of that? Like your legs hurt? I've heard of women having um, like side effects from an epidural where they have like long lasting back pain and leg pain. Uh, yeah, or, or headaches, you know, headaches. I, yeah, I really don't want anyone putting needles in my spine. So I was in such pain. I wanted uh, to be out when Josh was born. There was a thunderstorm and they lost power. Oh, wow. In the middle of your in the middle of your C-section. They were well, the generator. You know, the hospital is a generator, but I heard the generator went on. But yeah, the hospital lost power. Wow. That's crazy. Um, I'm curious. 
you you said you had some postpartum depression after your son was born. So a lot of women who have C-sections find the C-section experience itself to be traumatic. And sometimes that triggers postpartum depression. I'm wondering if you found your actual C-section traumatic or if you think maybe some of your depression was triggered by the painful experience versus the C-section itself. You know what, Corinne? I think it's a mixture of things. I was disappointed that I couldn't give birth naturally. So I felt bad, of course. <laughs> you know, I, and then having the surgery and having the scar and it hurt and it felt I was in pain. Then your hormones, you know, just, I guess, drop after you have a baby. They just go off the charts. And I think it was a mixture of things, but I felt that I was disappointed that I didn't have um, natural delivery. I don't think my husband cared. He probably would have passed out if he saw me have a baby. <laughs> Matt was kind of squeamish. I said, Matt, are you going to cut the cord? He goes, no, that's the doctor's job. That's what they get paid for. He would have been like... Um, Herman Munster, the Munsters, he would have probably would have passed right up. <laughs> I have had the same experience as you with with my first. She was a C-section that I felt disappointed afterwards. I was preparing. I wanted a natural birth and I felt like my body had failed me, like I had failed my daughter by bringing her into the world in such a traumatic way. Um, I had a lot of anxiety afterwards, not so much depression, but I had a lot of anxiety afterwards. Um, so I can definitely relate to your experience through that. Um, and I think a lot of women who have C-sections, especially for the first time, go through that, that feeling of, you know, like their body failed them. They're disappointed. They're upset. And, you know, adding trauma on top of that, um, is an easy recipe for postpartum depression. Right. Yeah. Um, it's and then I don't know when people would call me up and I would say how Josh was born. I'd start to cry. I was actually sad. And I'm like, why am I crying? I just had a baby. Why am I crying every time I tell the story of how Josh was born? I was and I guess I felt bad that Josh had a struggle to come out when he couldn't. Yeah. But it's hard for a lot of women who have trauma and who have suffered postpartum depression to celebrate a day that was terrible for them, that was an awful experience, whether or not it was, you know, bringing their baby into this world. That's beautiful, but it's also a really hard experience to go through. So that's conflicting to have those feelings of like, I should be happy. Here's my baby. You know, he's here. She's here. I'm, you know, it's, it should be the greatest day. But also it was the worst experience of my life, which is difficult. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, the doctor told me, <laughs> he said they could not believe how big he was. And when I told my mom I was having a big baby, she said, well, Betsy, how big could he be? You know, because my mom had four kids and my younger brother was eight pounds. She said, you know, you, Neil was only eight pounds. So how big could, could your baby be? Yeah, uh, big boy and chunky little rolls. He was so cute. 
<laughs> he's still chunky. <laughs> he's a good kid. I love him. Uh, a, a blessing. Josh is such a blessing. He's my earth angel. Really, I was blessed with a good kid. Not, no problem at, at all. And he was great with his dad. Great a caregiver for his dad. But I, I think that, you know, people, well, back then it was different. But I, I hope now that doctors are recognizing uh, women having postpartum depression and that it's real. And that women do have mixed feelings. You know, you just go through, your body goes through all these changes that we're not expecting to feel because our mothers didn't talk about it. You know, I mean, when I was born back in the you know 50s, I was born in 1957, my mom didn't have labor. They knocked them out and dragged the kid out with forceps. That's how they did it back then. You know, you it, things have changed. You know, I remember when my brother was born, they didn't let the, the guys in the delivery room. You went home. You dropped your wife off and went home. So it, it's quite, um, you know, different now. But I, I hope that the way uh, people are treated are differently. I would hope that they would ask the um, the woman, you know, hey, you've been getting induced labor and have them sign a waiver. Do you want a cesarean? That's my opinion. If they would have asked me, I would have signed right on the dotted line. Uh, and then to go through, really, that that pain. It was awful. It was really um, uh, awful experience going through that pain. I don't know how doctors do it now. I feel they should have listened to me. And that is so important. I think when you're pregnant, discuss with your obstetrician their philosophy, what they do uh, about having a cesarean. How long do they want you in labor? How long do they induce the labor for before they decide to give you a cesarean. 38 years ago, I didn't think about this stuff. It just wasn't talked about like it is now. And if you have a doctor who will not listen to you, get another doctor. Someone who's going to listen to you. I wish I would have asked more questions, but like, you know, 38 years ago, I was quiet, shy. <laughs> I didn't advocate for myself. We need to be advocates for ourselves and our family. So ask questions. Uh, that's what I would ask. I would ask the doctor's philosophy. You know, what's your protocol for having a cesarean versus not having one? How long do you give a woman? And um, I would definitely would ask that. If I had known to have asked that, I would have asked that. Betsy, before we wrap up, tell us a little bit about your um, kick Alzheimer's ass group on Facebook? Sure. I created and founded that group four years ago for caregivers. Uh, you don't have to be a caregiver. So no one walks their journey alone during caregiving or after. Like I had walked alone in my journey for a long time. Um, I'm all about education, advocacy. Anyone could join no matter uh, what your loved one's dementia is. If you have dementia, even if you're not a caregiver, 
you might end up being a caregiver and um, even after caregiving, which is a whole other journey. And I welcome everyone from every uh, walk of life. We're, we're open. Um, anyone from the LGBT, uh, G, LBGTQ plus community is welcome. It doesn't matter who you are, what you are. I don't discriminate. Neither does Alzheimer's. So everyone is welcome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for being here with us today, Betsy, and sharing your story. Oh, you are welcome. And thank you for having me. If you enjoy listening to the Labor Lessons Podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast listening app. Tell me which episode was your favorite so far and why. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. Until next time.